and he gets to come up and talk to us more about Joy Wins. And during worship, I actually saw this image, and I mentioned I was going to be cheesy, so here it continues. I actually saw in The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, that movie, has anyone seen it? Am I crazy? Um, there's a scene where the Grinch's, oh, spoiler alert, sorry. The Grinch's heart is, like, really tiny, and it looks gross, and then suddenly it, like, grows three sizes or something, and he's able to love and experience joy and yada yada. And I feel like tonight, that started in worship. God is growing our hearts for the capacity of his love. He's growing our hearts for the capacity of joy. And I just feel like that's going to continue through the word tonight. Uh, so please be open to receive that and to allow, I guess, God to expand your heart. It's cheesy and wonderful as that is. So Pastor Anthony, if you'll come up, I'll pray for you. All right, Lord, we just thank you so much that you have blessed this house. We thank you that through ties and offerings, uh, we can continue to grow and serve this community. So we just bless every giver uh, in this house who's given um, for that vision. God, I just thank you for Pastor Anthony uh, that you have, wow, that you have given him an authority in this house to speak truth um, in such an encouraging and challenging way all at the same time. We're so, so blessed to have him here to uh, receive from you and give to us. So we just come with our hands and our hearts open for whatever it is you're going to speak to us and we come excited and with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you very much. Hello. Is this on? Okay, oh, wow, it's weird. It sounds weird, doesn't it? It does a yeah, little bit up here. It's very strange. Well, I'm Pastor Anthony. Like she said, thank you to Justin, wherever you went, for letting me play on the worship team. I don't play on the worship team normally, but I saw Leonard was playing guitar, and Darren was on drums, and Justin was like, you should play. And Darren was like, you should play. So I played. So You did not say that. Darren said that. That's true. But when I said, should I play, Justin said, yes, I want you to play. That's right. Okay. Anyway, so thank you for bearing with me. All right. Joy wins. Last week, I'm going to recap very briefly what we talked about, all right? Last week, we talked about what exactly is joy, and we gave some definitions that told us it was exactly what I'm not supposed to say it is, right? Happiness, basically. In the Old Testament, the word for joy means joy, rejoicing, gladness, pleasure, happiness. It's expressed by singing, shouting, dancing, and playing musical instruments. Also, a matter of the heart. Weddings and harvest time epitomize joy in Israel. That's a condensed kind of synopsis of uh, Mounts' description. And I love my Mounts' expository. And if you are a nerd like me, you should get one. It will serve you very well. All right. In the New Testament, the word for joy is? Anybody remember? Kara. 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 Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're not Greek, so I think you can say either one. Kara, right? And in the New Testament, this word for joy is used 59 times as the opposite of grief and sorrow. It denotes, big surprise, joy, happiness, gladness. It can refer to feelings, this is where it gets interesting, and can result from circumstances, but for the believer it is continual because of our relationship with Christ. And last week I wanted to define exactly how believers have this kara, have this joy, all the time, even if you don't feel like it or your circumstances are opposed to it, okay? And we, we showed from the scripture that this word, kara, can be expressed in over-the-top, like, dancing, freaking-out celebration, right? I mean, just going nuts with joy. That's one way to express it, and certainly we've been there, hopefully, all of us at least once in our lives. Another way is a robust cheerfulness, just a good mood that is not easily damaged, is evidence of the Holy Spirit. And we showed how Paul and Barnabas 
would go from city to city and be treated like crud, and then it said they were full of joy. I don't think that's just thrown in there. I think they were so filled up and in contact with the presence of the Holy Spirit that they actually had a hearty cheerfulness that was hard to damage. Like, it was difficult to take away their happiness. I'm not supposed to say that, right? I'm supposed to say joy is deeper than happiness or something like that. Nonsense, man. Joy should show up at least sometimes as happiness. Come on, man. And believers are supposed to have that. But there's a third way. Because life is sometimes very hard. Life is sometimes nasty. Life sometimes has evil in it. Have you watched the news at all lately? In some places, maybe even right here, there's actual real nasty evil. And sometimes your joy, your cheerfulness may be damaged. But this word kara in the New Testament can also mean the source of joy, the reason for having joy. And certainly, when all else fails, we have that. So last week we avoided the message that I've heard so often, which is if you're ever in a bad mood, you aren't really saved, which is the... It's the vibe I've gotten from a lot of messages on joy. And I'm like, oh, man, it's a message on joy, and I feel really crappy. How come? That's that's amazing. So we changed that to this. Oops. Thanks to the work of Jesus, every Christian is not in a good mood all the time. But every Christian has constant access to a reason for joy. And this leads to actual cheerfulness and rejoicing. So this week... I want to talk about if we have constant access to kara, constant access to joy, how do we access it? Like, how do we actually get it? If we have it, how do we use it? Because certainly sometimes in my own life, I'm aware that the promise is there, but the reality of lived experience is a little different, right? Does anyone ever get bummed out? Okay? Does anyone ever lack happiness? I think everyone in this room would from time to time. Hopefully at the end of this message... We can learn some ways to remove blockages and get more joy. But I have to warn you, it's going to require doing some stuff. Are we okay with that? All right. Here's some background. You've got the source of joy. Way back in the Old Testament, in Psalm 1611, there's this famous verse. And Peter actually quotes it when he's preaching on Pentecost. And the verse is this. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And that's the end of the psalm. Like, that's the final note, right? You're going to fill me with joy, and there's pleasures all over the place. Like, that's your plan for me. The King James Version says it the way we all probably know best, which is just this. In thy presence is fullness of joy. So, in God's presence, there's joy. This is pretty basic, right? Well, where was God's presence in the Old Testament? It was pretty much centralized in the temple or the tabernacle, right? So getting into God's presence actually took some work. You actually had to walk there, you know what I mean? In a sense, he's everywhere all the time, but he was specially located in one spot. And King David talked about how wonderful it was to live in God's presence. I know, I'm going to have to do a little Bible lesson. Is that okay? Can we do a mini Bible lesson real quick? Excellent, here we go. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. God announces he's going to change the game a little bit. The prophet Ezekiel says this. I will give you, it means all of his people. I will give all of you, my people, a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you. 
to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. According to this prophecy, where is the presence of the Lord going to be located? In his people. Jesus comes on the scene in John chapter 14 and tells his disciples, this is still the plan. Check this out. In John chapter 14, 16 to 18, he's talking to the disciples. He's about to be crucified. And he says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And then he tacks on this little theological nugget. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's equating the promised spirit of God that's been foreshadowed for hundreds of years with himself. What does he mean? It's with you and it will be in you. It's him. He's going to return as the spirit that indwells the believer. And he gets crucified and he doesn't stay dead, and he follows through with his promise. And Paul writes about what happens after that happens, right? When the Holy Spirit does come down and indwell the believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. I always read more Bible than I have to to make the point. I like context, so I hope you don't mind. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, which you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul says the plan was always to move the localized presence of God from this one temple that people had to travel to to every single believer. You now house the presence of God. And just to reiterate, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. So if you're ever in a bad mood, you're not really... No, I'm just kidding. See? See how easy it is to go there? No. So that's the end of the psalm, right? That's the end of Psalm 16. Just for the remainder of the message, we're going to go through some practical steps from Psalm 16 that explain, I think, how David got joy in the presence of God. Because he's nice enough to explain in this psalm how he relates to God. And I think that's key to his experience of deriving joy from God. Does that make sense? Yes. Awesome. Here we go. This is practical. We're going to dive in. This is a well. You will die of thirst if you don't have a... Drink. Drink. Yeah, you get drinks in a bucket. Right? I believe what I'm about to explain... You're right, though. No, you're right. (laughs) Sorry, man. What I'm going to tell you is basically the equivalent of using a bucket to actually get water from the well instead of staring at the water that's in the well and wondering why you're so dang thirsty. Okay? Here we go. Psalm 16.1. This is how he opens. David says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. This is the first thing he tells us about his relationship with God. And it's marked by trust. David trusts God. But it's not a trust that is inactive. David is doing his king thing the whole time, right? He's making laws. He's going to war. He's making decisions. He's living an active life. When he says he takes refuge in God, he doesn't mean that he's hiding under the sheets, waiting for God to solve all of his problems and do all the hard things and calling that faith. Okay? That's not faith. 
that's actually kind of being a chicken and not following through on the call to live fully in the world. David has a trust, and he's able to take refuge and hide in God his security while he lives a full and vibrant life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And a good analogy for this, because I'm a gym rat from way back, is this. This, my friends, is a beautiful Sorenax competition bench. We have one of these at my gym, and I love it because I unwittingly became like a bench diva. And I don't know when that happened, but I like slid into it. Anyway, if you don't know me, my mom was like a workout trainer in the 80s, and I just always grew up with it. And I'm one of those weird people that just always loved it. It's not a discipline for me. Don't give me any compliments. I just dig it. Anyway, so the, the bench press is where you do what? Take a nap? It's where you bench press, right? But this bench press has a feature in which I take refuge. Because like all good gym people, I occasionally do dumb stuff and try to lift way too much weight, which is just part of it. And then you get hurt and you hope it's not serious. But this bench has these guys. You see that? Those are heavy duty safety straps. That enables you to bench very freely alone. You can do weight that you're not sure you can do. And if you can't do it, guess what? You have taken refuge in a smart place. It is going to prevent the weight of your own stupidity from crashing down on your neck and killing you. It's very important to take refuge in a good bench that you can trust when you bench press too much. As Sorry, a little insight into my way I view the gym. Some people don't know that they can trust God. Maybe they haven't walked with him for a long time. Maybe they just got saved. Uh, Any number of things could have happened to you in your life, and your trust muscle could be very damaged. You know how I learned to trust the sore next competition bench? I dropped a big heavy weight on myself, (laughs) and I didn't die. (laughs) The safety straps worked the right way, and I just slid right out. So if you struggle to trust God, I just want to encourage you. Take the leap. Live fully. Trust in him to be your refuge. Go out and do stuff with him, and he will be your protection. We have to trust him that much. That has to be the hallmark of a relationship, or else we will never find joy in his presence. You will not find joy with someone you do not trust. Okay, moving on. So trust. Psalm 16.2 and Psalm 16.5 and 6. David continues. I say to the Lord... You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. This is David saying, you know what, God? Not only do I trust you to take care of me, but darn it, I know that you're good and you have good plans for me. You have to believe this. If you don't believe God is good, how are you ever going to find joy in his presence? And I also believe that David is not just giving God the due credit God deserves for all the good stuff he has right now. He's talking about an inheritance. David was the youngest son. He probably would not have had much of any inheritance naturally. But he's saying, God, you were my inheritance. And believers now are told to look at it the same way. Jesus talks about what an amazing inheritance he has for us waiting in eternity that will last for eternity. This huge blessing because we're sons and daughters. This is David saying, every good thing I have right now, God, I'm giving you the credit. And I am just sure 
That because you're faithful, I have so many good things coming for me, even after I die, that I can't even number them all. I am confident that when I finally kick off and leave this earth, I'm going to an amazing place because you have a good inheritance for me. If you believe that, it will be easier to find joy in God's presence. This is a youth group slide. This is the kind of thing you get if you come to youth group with Anthony. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to give them eternal perspective, okay? Because it could be super crappy. See, the sign says super crappy. Right there, where you are in your life. Have I said that life is sometimes really hard? Sometimes situations come around that will steal your cheerfulness, all right? But you can get it back, at least in part, and ultimately, totally, if you are confident of the destination. If you really believe God's plan for you is goodness, and you know where you're going, you're going to expect. If you don't believe that, you will not find joy in God's presence. Everybody good? All right. Let's move on to the next one. I thought this would take longer. Maybe I'm just talking really fast because I just played worship and I'm in like a weird place. <laughs> Psalm 16, 7 to 8. I will slow down. <laughs> I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Oh, man. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I just want to point out that he's allowing God to counsel him. So many Christians think of God last. Yeah, I believe it's in the book of James where he rebukes people for saying, oh, I've got these great plans I'm going to do. And James, which is the whole book of rebuke, is like, what's wrong with you? You should say, should God allow me? I've got these plans I'm going to do. Like, we need to think of God's ideas first, not last. And King David does this naturally. God counsels him. But there's this interesting little part here. Where it says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. I, I look at several translations of this, and they were all a little different. A lot of the translations say, I set the Lord always before me, something like that. So I looked up the word, because I'm like, why are all of these so different? Because the, the secret most Bible translation companies don't want you to know about is they're mostly the same. Mm-hmm. Now, secret's out. But this is different. And it turns out that this word is real cool, man. This word means... I kind of, well, I shouldn't have done that. It's hard to read. It's Shava. I, I don't know how you pronounce it. But the main meaning is to agree with, be, or become like, and resemble. So the idea of what David is saying is that he keeps the Lord before him so that he can emulate him. It's not just something he sets on the shelf, like, oh, my Christianity is over here in my life. I do that once a week. You know, I set God over here like I set my Bible over here. It's this intent staring so that he can resemble the character of God. And this is key if you want to find joy in God's presence. Parents and children, I use dads and sons here, they want to be like each other, right? I get a kick out of dressing my my daughters in cute outfits, and I can't do the twinsy thing. I think Nicole's against it, but it would be a kick. You know, so I found all these images of fathers and sons that are dressed the same. Pizza, that's my favorite, right? (laughs) So we're supposed to want to look like our dad. And we're supposed to want to do the same things that our dad does. This is also central to David's relationship with God. Remember, God said about David, he's a man after my own heart. He wants to be like me. He's interested in actually taking on my character and viewing the world the way I view it. Man, I tell you what, 
If you do that, you'll find joy in God and he'll find joy in you too. But if you don't do that, if you, if you think of it this way, like, can I trust God to take care of me? Yes, he'll take care of me all the time. Because he's kind of a sucker and he's like that. Will God give me good stuff? Yeah, he will. Because he's kind of a sucker. He'll forgive me all the time too. Right? Does he have a good future for me? Yeah. I'm locked in, man. Said the prayer when I was five. He really can't get out of it. Sometimes I think we run the risk of viewing God that way. Do you want to look like him? Do you want to emulate him? No. Good grief. But he gives me good stuff and he takes care of me. If you treat God that way, you are not treating him like God. You're treating him more like a genie or a cosmic vending machine or something that you can use. And that's gross. And it will also rob you of any joy. If you want to take joy in God's presence, if you want to lower the bucket down and actually come up with a hall of refreshment and joy and peace, you have to love who God is. And you have to want to look like him. You have to admire him. You know, we want to look like people that we admire. I've got a few people I can think of right now. And I know what it is that I admire about them that I wish I had more of. Right? We're supposed to feel that way about God, too. Do that, and it'll be one step closer to having joy in his presence. Moving on, Psalm 1611, this is the last verse. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You make known to me the path of life. If you want to find joy in God's <coughs> presence, you need to trust him. He can take care of you. He's got your life in his hands, okay? You need to believe that he's good and that he's got good plans for you. You have to want to be like him. It's not enough just to use him, but you also have to stay on the path of life. When Jesus shows up in the New Testament, he gives a warning, and it's a stern warning, and it's, it's even hard to preach because you get so many questions afterwards. <laughs> you know, honestly, he says, look, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. And people are like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean few people are getting saved? And he never quite backs down. He only gets more scary. <coughs> it's narrow. It's rare. Few find it. Stay on it. David is thanking God that he actually takes the time to guide him along this narrow path. God, I want to think like you. I want to feel like you. I want to act like you. I want to make sure that I am navigating this world the way you would if you were here. That's the path of life. The opposite of that is the warning I'm going to add here at the end. The number one joy thief, I believe, is consistent, willful sin. If anybody's locked in consistent, willful sin, just, no, don't do that. I'm just kidding. So, there's all kinds of varieties of this, all right? There's all kinds of different, like, we would, like, have levels of seriousness, right? Like, that's a level 10 willful sin. Or, oh, that's just about a two. Like, you know, you steal coffee from the wrong department of work every day. Like, yeah, that's not so bad. You know, but if there's something compulsive, if there's something that you can't stop doing, that you hate, that you know is not the path of life, that you know is not emulating God, that you know is not good, you will not find joy in the presence of the God that reminds you of that. It just makes sense. And then... All this other stuff will flood into your world that you don't want there. Shame. Well, it's hard to feel joyful when you're ashamed. Embarrassed. It's hard to feel joyful when you're embarrassed. Weak. It's hard to feel joyful when you're weak. 
The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Weakness is actually the opposite of joy, I think. You know? So stop it. There you go. Counseling 101. <laughs> I got some good news. While all of these things, and especially willful sin, are like holes in our bucket, right? You try to get joy, but all this stuff, the joy's leaking out before it ever gets there. Jesus is able to restore our bucket. How does he do that? With flex tape. <laughs> he slaps that right on there. Okay. <laughs> I gotta end with the good news. <laughs> the message is on joy. I am unashamed. So, here's the thing. If you have been trapped in the sin for a week, ten years, your whole life, it doesn't matter. The Bible says, we trust God, right? That was number one. Okay, right? Yes, everybody in the we trust him. Okay, he's good, right? Yes. He has good plans for us. Okay, Anthony, where are you going? He says that if you repent, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And sometimes we stop there, but the next part is better. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But I've struggled with this for 15 years. No one looks like they're doing anything now. Okay? So let's get forgiven, and you're good. Does that make sense? Let's pray real quick. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you. You are not a sucker. We don't want to take advantage of you. You are good. It's different. Lord, you are forgiving. You are gracious. You are kind. You are strong. You want us to live lives of joy. And particularly this last thing, God, of known, consistent, willful sin, and it doesn't matter what it is. Lord, I pray that you would just give people the grace to admit it to themselves right now and to ask you for forgiveness and say, I repent. And if that's you, under your breath, you don't have to say it out loud. This isn't about embarrassing you. This is about getting you free. Just tell the Lord, I repent. I repent. I admit it. I did X. Please forgive me. And I'll give you five seconds or so. Just do that with the Lord. Yeah, God, we thank you that your will is for us to live lives fueled by your presence, and that includes joy. And right now, I pray that you would give those people who just asked for forgiveness the assurance that they are forgiven and a feeling of cleansing. God, I pray that they would experience holiness in a new way. I pray they'd start to like it. God, I pray that they'd experience strength in a new way, and I pray they'd get used to it. And Lord, I pray that you just lift them up from a place of discouragement and shame and, and discouragement. Just discouragement keeps coming to mind. Lord, lift them up out of that and take them to a place of joy. In Jesus' name, amen? All right. So, see, I didn't just leave you a stop it. I did have flex tape. All right. How do I access joy? Just to recap, you have to trust God. He's got it, guys. Live your life freely and with vigor and trust God to handle the rest. Know he's good and has plans for you. Desire to think and act like God. Stay on the path of life. And please, for Pete's sake, don't rob yourself of your own joy by going back to deliberate, willful sin. Thank you, guys. Here we go. to close. <laughs> for a pastor who can tell us about willful sin and immediately make us laugh. Um, right. Thank you. That was an amazing message. 
You guys, we're going to open it up for an opportunity for you to receive prayer. If there are things that got stirred up uh, by Pastor Anthony's message, we 